It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But with all the current uncertainty, how do we know when and where to put our hard-earned money to work for us? It's easy to become distracted by that shiny object or the quote-unquote next best thing. So how do we determine which strategies will best align with our financial goals? Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies to build our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Danny Nichols. And I'm Chris Thompson. This is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, and we're back this week with another fantastic guest. But before we jump into today's episode, we need your help. We're always looking to bring great guests to the show, and a big factor in making that happen is ratings and written reviews from our listeners just like you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure to stop by iTunes and drop a rating and written review, and we would really appreciate it. All right. Today, we had the honor of speaking with Arie Scheinbein. Arie's bread and butter is helping successful business owners and entrepreneurs invest their money intelligently, allowing their wealth to accumulate so they can stay focused on what truly matters. He spent his entire career sharpening his operational experience with investments and valuing businesses, having worked with top private equity, venture capital, hedge funds, investment managers, and banks. Arie is also host of the Inside the Lion's Den podcast, where they explore the leadership skills, financial acumen, and operational improvements required for sustained entrepreneurial and financial success. And today we spoke about wealth creation for the long haul and how that plays into uh, an investing strategy. And then we also dove into evaluating an investor's needs to determine uh, a custom strategy that best aligns with with their interests. So, you know, learned a lot in this one. I know, um, you know, we both took away a lot from this one and I know you will too. So let's just jump into today's episode with REA Shinebine. Thanks so much for having me guys. Really happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're very excited to have you on the show. Been looking to, forward to speaking to you for for a while now. Um, you know, we know a little bit about your background, but we want to make sure our listeners know just as much, maybe if not more, about you than we already know. So, before we jump into today's topics, tell the listeners more about you, your background, and how you basically became the go-to guy for investment advice. Sure. So, I definitely didn't wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, this is the the plan I was going to go for." I actually, um, like a lot of people, I you know went to college and said, hey, I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to do well in college and, and I'm going to you know, go down that career path. So went, got a finance degree, went to um, JP Morgan, actually straight out of school and did investment banking. And you know, I actually did a lot of diligence before I went into that. I knew the hours. I, un- I understood all the things going into it. But I also, I think, had this grand idea of what I was going to do. And after a few years, I was like, okay, I'm ready to kind of make my move and whatever. And I wasn't really sure what that meant, but ultimately went into um, the investment side of the world, was at a small family office where we did a lot of private equity investing and venture capital, early stage businesses. And I really got into liking the investment side of non-publicly traded securities. I still invested a lot in stocks and I still enjoy that, that research, but I found that there was something to be said about a little bit of the control and a little bit of, hey, the Mr. Market does whatever Mr. Market wants to do, irrespective of certain things. And in the private company side, whether it's real estate or private, the the whole company side of things, there's a little bit more of control and, and analysis that that doesn't help, you know, work the same way in the public markets. So anyway, um, have spent, you know, better part of 20 years on the investment side of things, whether it's in private companies, public companies, but helping people value businesses, helping the investors also act, make the investments. And then 
when you're doing that for so many years, you start to see like, what are some of the value drivers that make businesses more valuable, whether you're going to sell them, whether you just want to monetize them better and get more money out of them. The thing I tell everybody is, I didn't realize this when I graduated college, but deep down, I was probably an entrepreneur. But back then, that wasn't a thing. Like if you, you wouldn't even use that word. Like that, there was no category for that. It was, hey, you want to be self-employed or you want to work for yourself or whatever, you know? And so I started having like almost out of the gate, like things at night, I would stay up doing whether it was online or selling physical products in, in different capacities. But if I think back to when I was a kid, that makes sense. Like I actually, as a kid was into baseball cards. I, I played sports, but I love sports cards. And it was like my stock market. And I would watch the cards before the performance of the player before the next price guide would come out. I'd be like, Hey, that player's going to trend up. Let me get it before the guide comes out and says it's worth more. And by the time I was probably like 15, I went from like going to shows um, at like malls or hotels to actually having tables and buying, like selling, being the seller. And like my dad would drive me places. And so I guess it was in there, but I just didn't per se see it, you know? Right. Um, and so when I started doing things on the side, like certain businesses I was able to sustain while maintaining my full-time job, no problem. Some things I had to hire people and actually build out teams and, and operating processes. But one of the things that I realized that all of my employers didn't really have an issue with was investing, whether in real estate or in stocks, because that was like, hey, everybody in the world invests, so to speak. Um, and so in the beginning, when I learned about real estate, I, um, you know, I was, I was like most people who get into it, they're like, hey, there's this crazy thing out there and you can um, buy a house for no money down. What does that even mean? Like now you can go on YouTube and watch a lot of this stuff. But like right. back then, like I remember I literally went to a hotel, you know, like one night and they like, like they pitch you, right? They, they tell you, oh, this will help you. And back then it was Robert Allen and then became Robert Kiyosaki. And then, uh, you know, the next guy and so on and so forth. Now HGTV like has the whole market, like all the, all those people. Right. But, but the long story short was like, I was intrigued enough to like, Hey, let me, let me see what this looks like. And I even went down the, the tax lien path and I went to auctions and I started to try and understand how I could buy these. And there was a lawyer there who gave me like the, the, you know, the one hour explanation. Cause I couldn't understand what the heck was going on because I had read this book and this book said it's supposed to work like ABC and I got there and it was working like X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like the book said it was ABC and now it's X, Y, Z. I don't get it. And it was very eye opening all these things, but I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm not going to learn anything until I just jump in, right? And so, like most people, I probably made every mistake under the sun. Um, I invested in deals sight unseen. I went into development deals not knowing how badly the cost could be overrun and, and all the things, right? And um, ultimately, it was great learning experience, but it, it started to teach me, like, you know, to pump the brakes and really start to understand things. And so, fast forward into like, as I got into all my online businesses and dealing with a lot of entrepreneurs, I found that, okay, I've experienced a lot of this stuff, both from a professional standpoint, as well as the real estate on, on my own, that there's probably no great like real education out there. Like I'm actually next year, I'm going to be teaching in my son's high school, um, personal finances and investing, because it's, it's something that like, I'm very passionate about that. There's no education out there. It's a necessary thing where financial literacy and education is just lacking broadly speaking. And, you know, people see success in their businesses and they, they have this mission or they have this goal that they want for their business. And a, sometimes they're not thinking about their family or their future. They're like, Hey, it's all wrapped up in this private asset. 
So A, I try and help them with that. But B, I realize like they have this money, they start doing stupid things because no one's telling them what's good because the only people who are telling them are either people who are trying to sell them on something or people who don't have experience. And they're like, oh, do this, do that. Because I read that in the book, just like I read a book that said ABC and it turns out really it's XYZ, you know? So I just ended up being in a lot of like business settings and situations with entrepreneurs and they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go buy this single family home. And I'm like, oh, why are you doing that? And they're like, oh, because it's going to cash flow. And I'm like, yeah, 200 bucks a month. Like, like, tell me the math. Like, how'd you come to this realization? And they're like, oh, so-and-so told me. I'm like, do they have a program that they're selling you? And they're like, actually, yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's back this train up. Like, how does this work? Like, and they're, they're telling me, meanwhile, I understand the whole path that they're going to go down, but I want to hear it from them, right? And I'm like, okay, when was the last time you heard someone say, I am super wealthy because I own 150 single family homes? And they're like, huh, that's a good point. I never heard anyone say that. And I'm like, if you want a new job, right? If you want to be a landlord and, and a plumber and a roof manager and all these things, like, okay, you can own a bunch of single family homes. But if you want to keep doing what you're doing in your business and you want your wealth to grow, like, I'm not going to advise you on going down that path. And, you know, you get a lot of friction because like, there's a lot of people out there saying like, this is what to do, you know, like go on TikTok, go on YouTube, everybody's telling you. But at the same time, they're probably selling you some sort of product, whether it's life insurance and therefore they want you to get into the whole life insurance game to use that as your leverage point to borrow against, whatever it is. And, and some of these strategies make sense. But the thing I realized was like, if you don't have context and you don't actually know yourself and what you're really trying to get objectively, like if you don't have a goal, it's going to end badly just because your money is going to be all over the place and you haven't thought about it. So ultimately, I just started advising people with the intention of just trying to help. And, and that's really what, what a lot of people now come to me, specifically business owners and entrepreneurs, because they're like, listen, I don't know anything about this. Help me. And I'm product agnostic in the sense that like, I'm not selling you anything. Like, I'm not trying to get you into whole life insurance. I'm not trying to, I'm not at Edward Jones and trying to get you into mutual funds. Like, I can educate you on, on stocks and mutual funds. I can educate you on real estate. I can educate you on life insurance. But at the end of the day, I'm not incentivized to push you into one product over another. And, and that's kind of like, you know, the, the long story short of, of how I've gotten into it. Uh, you know, I love to hear it. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. And I, I definitely want to touch on one point because I know as, as a beginning investor, as myself, you know, it was kind of difficult to understand exactly what I should be doing. It was kind of like the shiny objects, kind of the thing you were talking before, but, oh, this looks good. Let me go try this. Oh, this is good. Let me go try this. And, you know, accumulate a lot of failures at one point, you know, just, just from that. And uh, so I think it can be difficult, especially for new investors or maybe business owners, somebody who doesn't know, you know, what to do if they want to exit a, or a, a business or something like that, kind of what you were talking about before, um, it can be difficult to determine what strategy to take. So as the, as an investment advisor, as a consultant, I imagine, you know, you have to tailor each specific, uh, specific strategy for, you know, all your different investors, right. Or your entrepreneurs, it's got to be different. And I can imagine that can be very difficult, right? I mean, that, that, that doesn't seem like an easy task at all. So how do you go about evaluating uh, investors or entrepreneurs needs to determine which strategies will align with their interests? The reason I ask this is because, you know, as a new investor, as I was back then, I would have loved to have somebody tell me that, Hey, this is what you look like you're trying to do look, look at this, you know? So, right. No, no, that, that, that's a great question. And I think, like you said, it, it's very tailored to the specific person. So a lot of times when I meet with someone, I first want to understand them as, you know, human psychology is a huge thing in, in everything in business and everything in selling, but it also is a lot to do with investing. The, the biggest problem, whether it's stocks, whether it's real estate, anything is emotions. 
and understanding how much, how emotional of a person you are going to be is, is a huge factor. Like everyone says, oh, what's your risk profile? What's your risk tolerance? But the way you're going to get there is first actually understand your emotions. Like if you wake up and you're down 30% because the market, you know, fell out of bed in a hard way, right? Over, you know, take COVID, right? February, whatever. I don't know, sometime in the middle of February of 2020 till about, you know, the, the third week of March. So there was like a, you know, a month window where stocks were down, whatever, 30, 40%. How did you feel? Were you like, I'm a long-term investor. I've got five, 10 more years. I've got 15, 20 years. This is a buying opportunity. This is, I may buy, I may buy too high here, but ultimately in 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and say, I bought a good company at a good price. I'm happy about that. Or are you like, holy crap, oh my God, there goes my money. There goes, you have to know yourself, right? So if you were sitting on stocks that were really, really negatively impacted right away, and you didn't think it was a good investment anymore, then you actually have to know that. And it's the same with real estate. So when people are like, oh, those returns don't seem all that sexy or all that exciting. I'm like, okay, how would you feel if your dollar went to zero, right? You put up $10,000, you put up $25,000. So these returns I'm showing you at 10, 12% don't seem exciting. I get it. But let's say it goes to zero. How do you feel about that? And people are like, no, that doesn't feel so good. Right. Okay. Well, are you going to be crying or are you going to be like, doesn't feel so good? Like there's a big difference, right? Like if you're going to be crying, then maybe you should be starting with that 10 to 12% type of return because you're going to actually get a little bit of a flavor of how this whole thing works. Because at a 10 to 12%, like obviously I'm just picking a random number, but like if you're an equity investor in a bigger project and you're, you're getting a 10 to 12%, that means, right, that this thing is cash flowing today and that they're giving you these returns and you're not getting into anything overly, I wouldn't say risky, but the there's less development involved. There's probably less improvement involved. You're really just kind of saying, hey, we're going to increase market rents a little bit, but we know that there's real cash flow because you're not going to get this 10 to 12% from a cash perspective if it's, if it's not there. And if you actually have an interest in this, then you'll start to pay attention to, okay, why are you getting these returns? Like, how did this all work? And so once I start working with people, the way I do it is really is I, I start with, okay, what is our objective goal? What's our plan? Like, how many years do you want to be working for? It's not about retirement, not retirement. I don't, I don't even like that word because like the idea of like, let's work till 65 so we can have 10 years off. I mean, like that just seems like a little bit absurd. I mean, listen, hopefully everybody lives to 120 years old, but like, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it is what it is, right? Like there are people who die at 75. It's reality. Like I'm not being morbid. I'm kind of being realistic. So, you know, and, and people come, some people who come to me, they're like, oh, have you ever heard of fire? And I'm like, yeah, I've heard of fire. And they're like, you don't sound, you're, you don't sound motivated by it. I'm like, it's not that I'm not motivated by it. It's just like, understand, get a hold of yourself in, can you realistically live off what that's saying you're going to live off of? Right. right? Like, and so it goes back to, again, emotions, know yourself and customizing this plan. So I would come to you and if Dan, you or Chris kind of said, hey, this is what I want to be thinking about. I'd be like, okay, what the, my starting point for everybody is honestly, is what does it cost your annual cost of living today? And once we start there, I actually say, now let's think about the future. What do you want it to be, right? Do you want a vacation five times a year? Or do you think your expense line is higher today than it will be later? Because if, you know, fat fire, thin, lean fire, whatever the, the names are, like, <laughs> They're like, I don't, you know, I have no problem with the concept. I have, I have a problem. Like, I don't think people really understand like what it costs to live, you know, to live a year. I, I think people are adulting 101 is a hard concept for a lot of people when, they, when you're like, Hey, 
what is your monthly expenses? I don't care. I'm not Dave Ramsey to tell you to cut out your latte, but I want to understand like, hey, what, what are you spending a year? Because mm-hmm. if you don't know, I can't help you, right? Like that, that's our starting point. Our starting point is like, what, what do you spend today a year? And then what do you want to spend? Is it more or is it less? And then we can start to invest accordingly. I mean, you bring up uh, you bring up, up a lot of pretty good stuff there. Um, you know, when we're younger and and just starting out investing, you know, our mindset is definitely more focused on the short term gains. You know, we want to know how much money we can make and how fast we can get it, right. with little to no thought on realistic long term strategies. Um, so, like most investors, you know, as we got older, we just kind of get more experience, and and that focus, you know, shifts, you know, to creating. To, I guess to creating that more of that long-term wealth. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, that wealth creation for the long haul and how this plays into your investing strategies or any investing strategy? Yeah. Um, I was like you, right? Like I, I was like, Hey, how much money can I make? How fast? Right? Like, because then I'll be set. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, like now in today's world, right? Like we even have like a new thing toppled on top of it is, is crypto. You see people like, woohoo, moonshot, you know, let's mm-hmm. go. For it. And, and yeah, like I know people, they, they put in one to $5,000. And next thing you know, they, their account says six, you know, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. And like, <laughs> I literally saw someone tell me, they're like, I wish I put more in. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because if it went to zero, you'd be pretty pissy about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so like understanding that it's normal. Like when you're young, you're like, hey, I'm going to make all this money. It's now, what are you going to do? What is that money going to do for you? And what are you going to do with it? So when you're thinking about like longer term wealth, I tell people investing should be boring. And people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, listen, if you have a business, if you're a business owner, or if you're an employee and you have a job, investing in yourself and your skill set to make more money, to grow your business or whichever one you are, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I believe in that. Like education and, and doesn't have to be higher education in the college sense, but just like skill set education is, is huge. But your money, when you're investing it, the objective isn't actually to see how big of a return you can get in short of a period. Because just think about anything, right? Like if it goes up that much, it obviously can come down that much. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to think about that. And um, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, they'll always tell you like, Rule number one, right, is like protect the principle. Like, what is the downside? What can you lose? And the number one thing that like the younger person, no, not knocking them, is just like, how much can I make? What's my upside? Right. And like I worked at a fund and it was really interesting. Like the, the chief investment officer, he was a very methodical guy. And I learned a lot from working side by side with him. But he loved a good story. And I'll tell this really quick story. There was you know, a new analyst got hired. He sat right behind me on the trading desk. And he's like, he goes, we have this really good deal coming up. And it was a private deal. And it was in the healthcare space. And I said, do you, do you want to get the deal funded or not? And he's like, he goes, yeah, I, I think it's a good deal. We should, we should be investing in it. I'm like, well, then you're, you're pitching it all wrong. I'm like, you got to go in there. You got to tell the story this way. You got to talk about the upside. And he's like, he goes, no, 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 no. I want him to understand that the downside risk. I'm like, well, then you're not going to get the deal funded. That's fine. I don't care. Like, you know, it's your deal and whatever. I'm like, but I'm just letting you know, like, it's not going to get funded. And he's like, okay, like, let, let's see what happens. And then, you know, he was new, new to the firm. I had been there a few years already. And I was like, okay, well, let me know. And I was very close. Like I spent the most time with the chief investment officer in my role. So sure enough, he comes out of the meeting and he's like, I was like, did you get approval? And he said, um, he says, no, we have to go back and do more, you know, work. I'm like, oh, what's the issue? He's like, well, he pushed on this and he pushed on that. I'm like, uh, I'm like, because you didn't sell him on the upside. 
And he's like, like he goes, yeah, I, I think now that makes sense. So the next, you know, a couple of months later, he comes back. He's like, I have another deal. I'm going in. I'm like, do you want to film this? He's like, I think it's a crappy deal. I'm like, well then talk about the downside because if you talk about that upside, like, cause he was going in with another guy. I'm like, that guy, he knows he's going to sell the story and you're going to get screwed if you don't want to do this. So you better talk about the downside all day long. And he comes out and he's like, Oh my God, you were right. This guy was telling all about the upside and I had to like sit there and tell him about the downside. So we didn't do this deal. I'm like, tell you as good of an investor as this guy is, he loved a good story. Right? Like, and so it's the same with the investment and like angel investing. Like I do angel investing, but I tell people like, Hey, listen, just keep in mind, angel investing is like, it's for the party. It's so that you go to the party and you're like, Oh, I'm this cool guy. I talk, but like investing should be boring. Investing mm -hmm. is slow and steady. So to answer your, in a long-winded way, Chris, sorry, to answer your question, right? If I, if we're like, hey, we're thinking we're early in this, time is one of the biggest levers in the investment game, right? Like, so if you could put up a 10% return every single year for 20, 30 years, like the compounding of that is massive. And people just don't really understand that concept because again, it's not something that's taught. It's not an educational mm -hmm. thing. And the equation like when people are like, wow, does it really work that way? Da, da, da. I'm like, first of all, it does. Okay. First and foremost, it does. But if you just like the rule of 72, right. In terms of, of compounding. So if you take any number that multiply the two numbers, multiply and get 72. So if I have a 9% return for eight years, so nine times eight is 72, my money will double in eight years at a 9% return or vice versa. It was eight, you know, eight and, and nine or seven and 10, well, you need a 7.2% and you know, a 10% return, your money is going to double. So if you think about that and you're like, hey, that's in a, a static environment, but I'm also now contributing every year and I can make it double and I can do these things. The number, the compounding is, is like real, you know, there's that, there's the, the example of the story of like the, the magic penny that doubles every day. Like if I came to you and I said, hey, you can have um, a penny today and it doubles, every day for 31 days, or you can have $5 million today. Which one do you want? You get a penny that doubles every day for 31 days, or you can have 5 million bucks. You're like, huh, I'll take the 5 million or whatever you take. Okay. So here we go. We go down the path. I'll tell you, like by the time you hit like day 15, you have like not even like $250,000. You're like at a hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, damn, penny was the wrong pick, right? You get to like day 29, you're still at like only like two or $3 million. You're like, wrong choice. Like I clearly am the sucker. At day 30, you hit and you just cross over 5 million, which means at day 31, you're at 10 million. Now granted, I don't have a magic penny, nor do you, that's going to double every day. But you see the idea here, right? Like if you have time and you have returns at compound, you, you have like a real path to the future. And that's why I tell everybody, everybody can be wealthy. It's you have to do some of the things that people just don't want to do. Like taking the money out of your bank account every month. Like, you know, like as, as employees, they have this 401k model, right? People have the idea that you have this 401k. The genius of it, forget like the industry, the genius is it comes out of the paycheck because if you had to actually take that money out of your paycheck, how many people would not do, actually mm -hmm. do it? Yep, absolutely. And I, th I think you bring up a lot of good points, especially with creating, you know, value or, you know, wealth for the long haul. And I love that the story about the penny, you know, I got to give me one of those magic pennies for sure. But, uh, you know, the one thing that I want to talk about is, uh, you know, I, I have a WSU job and I work with a lot of busy professionals and most of them, you know, 
I talk about investing all the time, right? You know, I invest in real estate pretty heavily. I've invested in stocks before. And I just like talking about, about investing, especially real estate investing. And some of the things when I talk to them, ask them, hey, what are you guys doing for investing? And really, they just kind of talk about, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure. It's really just a kind of a set and forget thing. You know, they set it and forget it. And, and that's it. There's no, there's no real activity. They kind of just dump some money in uh, and they don't really know what it's doing. You know, I mean, they're kind of just, they have no idea. Can you talk to us a little bit about that strategy and your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the first thing is, is like, A, it's good that they're doing something, right? It's better than nothing. Like I, sure. I always tell people like that, that's, you know, clap my hands and bravo to that. Because unfortunately there are people that are like, well, I can't even afford that. I'm like, no, you can afford it. You just have decided not to. Like I always, I point to like Parkinson's law to say that like whatever time and space you have for something, that's what you give it. So if you're, if you make $5,000 a month and you tell me that you spend $5,000 a month, if I took away $500 and I said, no, you only have 4,500, guess what? You'd live on 4,500. And if I took that 500 from you and I started investing it for you, guess what? It would be growing and you'd be living the same life. Rest assured that 500 isn't going to make or break it. If you're only making like $1,000 or $100, okay, I, there's a little bit of a challenge, but you still can do it. You can make it work. People make it work. Like if you're willing to make the sacrifice, you can make it work. So on, on the 401k side, first and foremost, understand like as a W-2 employee, the, the, there's two things about 401ks, right? There's an active 401k, meaning you're at an employer, you're, you're an employee and an active employee. You are an employee and an active employer, right? So that is your active 401k. If you leave that job, right, the money that's in there is yours and it can stay in the 401k at that company or you can do something that's called like a rollover, meaning you can roll it into a IRA and whatever vehicle it was in. So 401ks have um, regular traditional 401ks, which means the money comes out before taxes and your employer can actually also set up a for a Roth 401k, meaning you pay taxes on it on the front end and every everything that grows on the back end is tax is tax free. So um, so one's a deferral, one's a, you know, you pay it on the front end. When you leave that job, that is yours and you can roll it into an IRA. When you roll it, now you actually can do things and have something called like a self-directed or you know self-managed or self-administered. It has lots of different names. Now, you can't call Fidelity and ask for that. And you can't call Schwab and ask for that because they don't do that. And there aren't a lot of providers out there that do it. So there's definitely some diligence and you actually have to get some paperwork. It's not like, hey, you know, click a button and you're good to go. But the thing with that, that vehicle is like you can now... in invest in whatever you want if you can get it self-directed. But if you roll it, let's just keep it simple for a second. And we just roll it over to Schwab or Fidelity or whatever it is. You have a lot more options than if you keep it in the plan that it was in. Because most corporate plans are set up to have a limited number of financial options, meaning they give you 10 mutual funds or 20 mutual funds or whatever the heck the, the plan is. But it's not limitless. It, there is some sort of limit on what you can do. Now, some companies allow, you know, for single stock trading, but very few. Your average company has a few options, maybe 20 different mutual funds. And they're predetermined by the company. And they're predetermined by who that plan is with. And they're predetermined by if you're at uh, Nationwide or if you're at Fidelity or if you're at Schwab or T. Rowe Price or whatever it is. Now, the other thing is, is wherever that thing is sitting... Inside the 401k, in addition to any fund fees, the there is an administrative fee. And I can tell you, certain administrative fees are way worse than others. Like Fidelity, it's, it's the minimus versus like, you know, others that I'm not going to bash on someone's podcast. Like they're just a lot higher, okay? And so the fine print matters. 
Because if I take a half a percent or a percent of your returns every single year, I'm going to destroy your future value. And like, I even talk about this in, in different times and I want to get into it, but it can really change your, your return profile dramatically. So anyway, if I'm an employee and I'm investing in my, my 401k, I say, hey, first of all, if, you're, if your employer gives you some sort of match, take, you know, make sure the contribution at least is getting that full match because that's free money. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's a vesting schedule <laughs> on that. Sometimes there isn't, whatever it is. Now, again, this is not tax advice um, and I'm not a tax professional and none of this is investment advice, but you should be putting in um, your matching contribution because it just makes economic sense. Um, but once you leave that job, you have that asset that you now can control in a totally different function. And you really should take a look at what it, where it is, like what the, the fees are, and B, what the investment options are. Because most of the time, they're pretty limited. And there's a lot of things you can do once you transfer it over to yourself, whether it's self-directed or not. Self-directed, though, allows you to invest in real estate and different things. Um, and the other thing is, is that like people are like, okay, I have all this money and I've maxed out my 401k or I you know, have done this and that. That's fine because the, the drawback on the 401k and any or an IRA or any of these things is you can't touch it until 59 and a half without penalty which whether or not that makes sense or not, who cares? Those are the rules, right? Like they are what they are. So understanding like, hey, if you want to be doing real estate and I only have this one 401k that I'm at an active employ employer right now, okay, so be setting aside from your money so that you can get into real estate on, on in a different path that's not inside the 401k. But the 401k, like it's a nice concept, but it also is like, hey, you can't touch it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So if you want to live off of that cash flow, you're going to have to wait until you're at least 59 and a half. And that definitely doesn't go into like the fire people, you know, because they're trying to get out at like whatever 50 or whatever. So absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there's a lot of, that goes into that. And I think that, you know, we're, we like the idea of the self-directed account, you know, you're able to invest in stuff, like you said, other than just stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you can invest in real estate or whatever, you know, there's a whole yep. list of things that you can invest in. We're, so we're big proponents of that. And uh, so we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about that. And we're completely on board for sure. Um, all right, it's been a great conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. But before we get out of here, we want to make sure to shine the spotlight on you. So tell us just more about you, your business, or anything else you have going on. Sure. Um, I appreciate that. So I think the the number one, two, three places that you can find me, um, I have a podcast called Inside the Lines and Podcast. It's on every podcast platform as well as the website inside the lines and podcast.com. Um, my personal website where people can, you know, at least hear about some things and learn from me is um, solutionadvisory.com. I do a bunch on Instagram. So at Arye, the businessman on Instagram. And then my LinkedIn profile is just my name. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. We're going to make sure to uh, uh, link all those in the show notes so our listeners can reach out to you and connect with you uh, as, they, as they need to. Arye, again, this has been a great conversation. Thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.